With Elevate 150 from Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, you can grow financially stronger and so can Redeemer Radio. Visit NotreDameFCU.com slash Elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. As the Advent season wraps up, it's time for the O Antiphons. This week, hear Bishop talk about these poetic prayers used this time of year, right before evening prayer. They've been used by the church for centuries. Each one begins with a different title for the Messiah, and each one proclaims the coming of Christ as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And as an added bonus this week, Bishop gives us a sneak peek at the new translation of the O Antiphons, which are closer to the original Latin than the current version. If you have a question for Bishop, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop who has given us the gift of another episode of Truth and Charity. Thank you. I can't wait to unwrap it. Yeah, you know, we're getting close to Christmas, a little over a week, so it's getting exciting. Are you good at wrapping gifts? No, (laughs) but, uh, you know... My secretary is so kind, and she will wrap gifts for me. <laughs> That's nice. You know, it would take me too long to do it, uh-huh. <laughs> and I wouldn't be very good at it. Do you delicately open them, or do you just rip it open? I generally just rip it open. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not really saving uh, the paper, are we? Uh, no, no. All right. Well, do you have an opening prayer for us today? Yeah, I love the uh, Marian Antiphon during Advent, the Alma Redemptoris Mater. So why don't we begin with this? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Loving Mother of the Redeemer, gate of heaven, star of the sea, assist your people who have fallen, yet strive to rise again. To the wonderment of nature, you bore your Creator, yet remained a virgin after as before. You who received Gabriel's joyful greeting, have pity on us, poor sinners. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You mentioned Christmas coming soon. One of the things that is kind of part of the liturgical countdown is the O Antiphons, which I feel like this is something that I don't remember hearing about or talking about growing up. I just, I feel like I just recently learned about these. Uh, What are the O Antiphons? Well, you can kind of find them in the, uh, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, but basically they were, they are antiphons that are sung or recited prior to the Magnificat at evening prayer. So they go back centuries. When we celebrate Vespers or evening prayer, every evening we pray Mary's Magnificat. And there's always an antiphon at the beginning and the end. Well, the O antiphons all begin with O, (laughs) and they are really the, the antiphons that we use before the Magnificat during the last week of Advent, between December 17th and December 23rd. 
And and really, the church has been singing these since the eighth century, hmm. and I think they even go back a couple centuries before that. So these great O antiphons are very historic. They each have a different title. They both each one highlights a different title for the Messiah. For example, on December seventeenth. The, the first O antiphon is wisdom. So it's O sapientia, O wisdom. Hmm. And really, it's a beautiful theology contained in each of these antiphons, and they draw on biblical themes of the Old Testament. For example, as I mentioned, wisdom. So basically, they proclaim Christ who comes, who's coming, whose Christmas is right around the corner, as the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies and these Old Testament hopes. He is the wisdom from on high. But also, when I pray the O Antiphons, I also think about it also is our own longing for Christ in our lives, in our hearts. Truly, these prophecies have been fulfilled, but we still long in our hearts for Christ, and we pray, you know, Lord Jesus, come. And each of the O antiphons also, they begin with O, but they're always an invocation, come, come wisdom from on high. So they really are very poetic. They're beautiful. As I mentioned, they've been poetically reworked and put into the hymn that we all know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is basically the last of the O antiphons is O Emmanuel. So I really do recommend people to um, to pray with the O antiphons during this the last week of Advent. So as I said, they begin December seventeenth tomorrow, and they go all the way up through December twenty third. Now I would want to add that you might also notice that after the Second Vatican Council, the O antiphons were also put into the Mass. They are the Alleluia verse before the gospel from December 17th to December 23rd. Hmm. So people may recognize them if they attend daily mass, that they hear them as the Alleluia verse. Okay. But as I said, it began as the antiphon for the Magnificat and still is. Now, the translation... You know, we're doing a, the U.S. bishops is, you know, we've been working for years on a, a better translation of the liturgy of the hours, including the translation of the O antiphons. And I, I thought as we go through each of these, I'm going to use the more scholarly translation that I think we will be in the new revised liturgy of the hours, okay. which is closer to the Latin. And when you compare the translations, the translation that we presently have, it really is kind of weak in comparison to the more literal translation from the Latin that we will find in the new translation of the breviary. Is that something that you're specifically working on? No, um, that would be more the USCCB Committee on the Liturgy. Okay. And I'm chair of the Committee on Doctrine. To me, it's, it is connected, though, because the doctrinal content is, is also there. But, but to answer your question, no. But all the bishops, actually, 
discuss the drafts that are brought up, and, and then the Vatican has to approve the translation. So it's taking many years because, you know, the Liturgy of the Hours is four volumes. Yeah. That's a lot of translation. So we've been doing approvals of parts of it okay. every few months. There's the group that does the translations, the International Commission on English in the Liturgy, will work on certain parts of the bereavery, and then it will come before the bishops who can then discuss them and approve them or revise them. And then they go on to Rome for approval. So I can't wait till we have the new translation of the Liturgy of the Hours. What we've approved so far, you know, is really beautiful, including the, uh, the new translation of the O Antiphons, which, as I said, is a more faithful translation of the Latin original. Well, and just for those that are unfamiliar, the breviary or the Liturgy of the Hours, these are prayers that the church prays throughout the day. Specifically, our priests and religious would commit to praying those daily throughout the day, and there's many lay people that do as well. But before we get into these, can you explain what an antiphon is to begin with? Okay, an antiphon, for example, at the beginning of a Mass, if you don't have a entrance hymn, we sing or recite an antiphon, the entrance antiphon of Mass. So it's usually a short uh, verse, and it uh, has scriptural basis. So that's one example. There's also at Mass a communion antiphon, the same thing. And some parishes, they do use them. I see that they're making a comeback mm -hmm. uh, in a way. And then when we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, Prior to every psalm that we recite or sing, there is an antiphon, mm -hmm. and then it's repeated at the end of the psalm. And same with the canticles in the Liturgy of the Hours, like the Magnificat, there's an antiphon at the beginning, and it's repeated at the end. Or in morning prayer, we always pray the canticle of Zechariah, and that has an antiphon at the beginning, and it's repeated at the end. So an antiphon is basically a, a verse based in Scripture or right from Scripture, and it kind of communicates something of the liturgy that's being celebrated. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump into these, starting with tomorrow's, you teased it a little bit, O Wisdom. I, I guess I don't know what the new translation would say for tomorrow's antiphon, O Antiphon. Do you have the um, the present translation in front of you? I assume so. I have, O wisdom of our God most high, guiding creation with power and love, come to teach us the path of knowledge. Okay. That's the present translation. Now I want you to hear what will probably be the new translation. Again, the more literal one. O wisdom, you came from the mouth of the most high, reaching from end to end mightily, and loving, disposing all things, come and teach us the way of prudence. Wow. That's very different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's really what the Latin says. Do you want me to tell you the Latin? No, I'll skip <laughs> telling you what the Latin is. But if you look at the Latin, which is the official uh, version, the translation I just gave is, is very, very faithful to the Latin, more exact in the translation. So let's just reflect a little bit this title of wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, wisdom is here personified and present with God at the beginning of creation. It says, O wisdom, you came from the mouth of the Most High. 
wisdom eternally coming from God. Really, it's a prefigurement of Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. We, you know, St. John refers to the second person of the Trinity as the word of God, the eternal word, the word that became flesh. The Greek word is logos. So there's this very close connection between wisdom and logos, wisdom and word. This is really the eternal nature of God. Wisdom reaching from end to end. Wisdom is the foundation of of the world. When you think about this, this beautiful O Antiphon, it's referring to the fact that wisdom orders everything in creation. There's an order in all of creation. Even on the microscopic level, you know, the atoms and molecules and cells, there's this amazing interplay of these realities of, uh, that make up the, the systems of life and matter, uh, or just look at the human body, the, the nervous system, the brain, the muscular parts, the sophisticated organs, uh, eyes and ears. So, and even in nature, you know, the ecosystem with photosynthesis and all of that, and the beautiful order and balance of the solar system, and even beyond the galaxy. So what the antiphon is basically extolling is wisdom. This is God coming forth from the mount, mouth of God to order all things mightily and sweetly, lovingly. So from the very beginning of creation, you know, St. Paul refers to this. We call this, we can call this in scripture, the wisdom tradition. In his letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 20, St. Paul writes, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So Jesus is the word of God, the wisdom of God. You know, all things were created through him and in him. Uh, as St. Paul wrote to the Colossians. So that's our O Antiphon for December 17th. And I encourage people to think of, of that as we invoke uh, Christ as the wisdom that comes out of the mouth of the Most High. And we ask him to come to teach us the way of prudence, yeah. to give us wisdom. Would you say that wisdom is what we refer to whenever we say intelligent design? Well, that's a whole big question, okay. Kyle, intelligent <laughs> design. No, I would say the, uh, you know, there's a lot of misunderstandings of intelligent design. So we'd have to be very careful what we mean by that. That would be actually a good science and faith question okay. to talk about in one of the shows. But definitely the, the idea of, of order is there. Yes, that, um, you know, the world was created through and in Christ, the wisdom of God. And when we look at the amazing order of the universe and how the universe evolved, we can see the hand of God. Okay. All right. Maybe we'll table that for a future episode. <laughs> All right. So yeah, then... there's, there's a whole 
thing about intelligent design, but it would be an interesting uh, show. All right. Care to move on to December 18th? Yes, that would be great. And the O antiphon is O Adonai. If you don't know the word Adonai, it's Hebrew for Lord. Mm. If you remember, the, the Jewish people never pronounced vocally the, the name of God, mm-hmm. Yahweh. So instead, they would say, my Lord or Lord, Adonai. And you see that often in the scriptures. So I'll give you the, the, the whole antiphon. O Adonai, and leader of the house of Israel, you appeared to Moses in the burning bush and gave him the law on Sinai. Come with outstretched arm, redeem us. So out of reverence, devout Jews would address God as Adonai. As I said, they wouldn't use the name Yahweh. And so we've just talked about wisdom, okay, creation. God, in his wisdom, the word, the eternal word, all was created through him and in him. Now we look at God as the Lord and leader of the house of Israel, the ruler of the house of Israel. So... Here we have God manifesting himself, not only in creation, but manifesting himself in history by name to Moses in the burning bush. And he gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. It reminds us of how God saved the people from bondage in Egypt, so we, we pray at the end of this antiphon, come with outstretched arm, redeem us. Because the, the redemption, the, the saving of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt really foreshadows our being saved, our being delivered, our redemption from sin. So this image of the outstretched arm, we say, come with outstretched arm, redeem us kind of can give us also the, we can think of Jesus with his arms outstretched for us on the cross, just as God's arm was outstretched in power to save his chosen people who were uh, enslaved in Egypt. So I think this is a beautiful antiphon to reflect on, Jesus as our Lord, as Adonai, and our leader, our ruler, who rescues us who saves us, who redeems us. And it calls to mind God's revealing himself in the burning bush and through his law on Mount Sinai. Okay. So we go from wisdom to kind of a mosaic God, the Lord of Moses. And then I think the next one is the 19th, O Root of Jesse's Stem. Yes. O root of Jesse. The Latin is radix. O radix, Jesse. So I'll read the, the antiphon. O root of Jesse, you are a sign for all the people. Before you, kings remain silent, and to you the nations make supplication. Come to deliver us, and do not delay." This calls to mind the prophecy of Isaiah, how 
David's throne, King David's throne would be restored. There would be a, a new branch budding out from the old root, the root of Jesse. And Jesse, of course, was the father of King David. So here we think of Jesus coming from the Jewish people in the line of David. Remember in John's gospel, Jesus said, salvation is from the Jews. Mm -hmm. Of course, there would come a day when the Gentiles would be joined to this saving plan of God, and they would receive their Messiah from the Jewish people, through the Jewish people. There's a famous passage in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul speaks of the Gentiles as being like wild olive shoots grafted onto the olive tree, hmm. onto the vine of Israel. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, believing Jews and Gentiles together, all grafted onto the one vine, made members of the one body of Christ. Jesus, you know, we could say, in, as a man, was of the family of Jesse, you know, that uh, of King David. That title, O Radix Jesse, O Root of Jesse, reminds us of Jesus's human uh, ancestry. And we can also think about, I think, the prophecy where Isaiah said, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. The prophet Micah had prophesied that the Messiah would be of the house and lineage of David and would be born in the city of David, Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 1. So for each of these, uh, definitely so far, we've got kind of this Old Testament reference, but it seems like they're also pointing out the salvation of the New Testament within its context. So is it kind of a, so far at least, these three, they're all kind of showing that bridge between Old Testament and New Testament, would you say? Exactly, okay. exactly. And this last one I, I forgot to mention. Remember at the, uh, the Annunciation, when the angel spoke to Mary, he's, the angel said, the Lord God, speaking about Christ, the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. Hmm. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his reign will be without end. But we apply this to us today. I mean, we, we are still saying, oh, come, you know, oh, root of Jesse, come to deliver us and do not delay. So we still cry out, that God's kingdom will extend over all humanity. We still cry out for Christ to save us. So there is the, the threefold part of, of Advent where we, we look back to the Old Testament and the prophecies and Christ's first coming, but we also look to his coming now and his coming at the end of time when we pray these O antiphons. Yeah. All right, so, O oh, Wisdom, O oh, Lord, or Leader, O oh, Root of Jesse's Stem, and then the 20th is O oh, Key of David. Yes, I like this one, and I will read it. O oh, Key of David and Scepter of the House of Israel, you open and no one shuts. You shut and no one opens. 
Come and free the prisoners sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. The key, O key of David, and scepter of the house of Israel. The key and the scepter, they are both symbols of kingly power and authority. Hmm. So Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, is the heir of King David and possessor of the kingdom. And he holds the key to open so that no one can close. He's the one who restores our access to the Father. He opens the gates of heaven. And he holds the keys to the kingdom. So that whole image of key shows Jesus's authority. There's this relationship, a prophetic relationship, we could call it, of the earthly kingdom of David to the kingdom of God. All power and authority was given to Jesus after the resurrection, and he entrusted this power, the keys of the kingdom, to St. Peter, to the church. And we pray at the end of this antiphon, come and free the prisoners sitting in darkness. So we still need, we look to Jesus to unlock the fetters of sin that keep us chained. He frees us from our captivity to sin. So come and free the prisoners sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. I think that's beautiful to, to contemplate during Advent how the Lord wants to open up for us uh, the kingdom of heaven. And the original, or I, I think this is the current as well, because the one that you're reading is not released yet. Is that correct? That's correct, okay. because the they're still doing the translation of a liturgy of the hours. So the one that people will actually hear on the 20th at church, if it's read, is that always going to be read at a daily mass? Well, it should be read as the Alleluia verse. Okay, yeah, that's at right, right. Daily Mass. Well, right? I guess the twentieth, but would it's be definitely too. read at the mag- as the antiphon for the Magnificat okay. at evening prayer. I realize a lot of people don't pray <laughs> evening prayer or vespers, but for those who do, that, that's where it, it they'll definitely pray it. And usually, if at, they're at Mass on that day and they do the Alleluia verse. That would be it. Right. But notice the, the current translation is, O key of David, opening the gates of God's eternal kingdom, come and free the prisoners of darkness. The one that I recited is, is longer than that. You open and no one shuts. You shut and no one opens. That was just dropped right. in the present translation. And the reference to the scepter. There's no, That's there's right. no scepter. In- there's no reference to scepter either. What do you think that well, adds? If you look at the Latin, there is. What does the scepter add to the prayer? Well, it's another sign of royalty, basically. Uh, power, the power of the king. So he has the power to, to use the key that opens and shuts. All right. Uh, next one is December 21st. Oh, Radiant Dawn is at least the current translation. Yes. In Latin, it's O Oriens, Oriens, which really is the rising sun hmm. or, you know, the, the dawn. Okay. Uh, sometimes it's translated O morning star. So there's a number of translations. The Latin is Oriens, O Oriens. Rising star, rising sun, I think is the most um, literal translation. So, 
the new translation is, O rising sun, brightness of eternal light, and sun of justice, come and enlighten those that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. We, of course, get the word Orient from this Latin word Oriens because the Orient is the East. Well, the sun rises in the East. So this is all beautifully expressing the idea of light, shattering the darkness of night, shattering the darkness of sin and the darkness of death, bringing light, bringing warmth. And of course, Jesus is the true light, the radiance of the Father's glory. Now, every morning in the Liturgy of the Hours, during morning prayer, we pray the Canticle of Zechariah, which is called the Benedictus. You know, it's found in chapter one of Luke's gospel. And in that canticle, uh, we pray, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Of course, Jesus is the dawn from on high. He is the morning star. These are all titles of Jesus, rising sun. And we pray that he comes and enlightens those who are in darkness and in the shadow of death. Christ is the light of the world. And of course, this is a primary symbol of, of Christmas. You know, we put lights on our Christmas trees mm-hmm. and, and all of that. The whole symbolism of that is Jesus as the light who comes to dispel the darkness. And the whole idea of rising sun, the sun rises in the east. Okay, so Orient refers to the east. Until uh, relatively recently, the church would face the east to pray. Remember, and sometimes, you know, in the, in the old rite of the mass, the priest, we would say, you know, people say today, oh, the priest has his back to the people. Well, it really wasn't the priest with his back to the people. It was the priest and the people both facing the east right. in praying to God. So... That's the, um, you know, that's very uh, traditional. You know, now with mass facing the people most of the time, we kind of lost that idea of the liturgical East. Some said, well, it would be good if we at least went back to that for the Eucharistic prayer. Maybe that will happen. But, but Pope Benedict encouraged us to place a crucifix on the altar so that we would be looking during the Eucharist, uh, Eucharistic prayer Kind of symbolically, we're looking at Christ. Mm. We're not looking at each other. We're praying to Christ. So that's the uh, praying to God. Uh, so that's a whole other issue. But but the main point of this antiphon is how you know the Lord brings His light. Jesus is the light of the world and calls us to spread that light. Um, so we pray at the end of this antiphon: Come and enlighten those that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Mm. All right. Our next one, December 22nd, is O King of Nations and Keystone of the Church. Yes. I'll give the new translation. O King of the Nations and their desired, the cornerstone, you make all things one. Come and save mankind whom you have formed out of clay. Hmm. Now, the earlier antiphons had alluded to the Messiah coming not only for Israel, but also for the Gentiles. So here, it's really specific, O King of the Nations. Okay, so it's not just 
the, the king of Israel, O king of the nations, and the desired one, which is beautiful, the desired one of the nations. And then the cornerstone, the Messiah is the cornerstone on whom our spiritual lives are built. And this cornerstone, which is Christ, unites and binds Jews and Gentiles to each other, making all things one. That's what the antiphon says. And then we make the plea, come and save mankind whom you have formed out of clay. Basically, save all humanity, all creation, all people. All people of the earth have this desire. That's why, you know, desire for life, desire for for happiness, desire for peace, desire for eternity. And basically, we're saying, you know, Jesus is the one who who satisfies that desire. He's the desire of the nations, of every uh, human being. All right. Then, before we give the last one here, why does it end on December 23rd and not on the 24th? Or continue That's a good to Christmas question, Day? Because remember, this is the antiphon for the Magnificat. And the Magnificat is prayed at evening prayer. So evening prayer on the 24th is part of Christmas, okay. not part of Advent. All right. Yeah. So our last one is, I guess, the namesake of the song, O Emmanuel, our King and Giver of Law, come to save us. Lord, our God. And this is the other translation. O Emmanuel, our King and lawgiver, you are the expected of nations and their savior. Come and save us, O Lord, our God. I think this kind of sums up most of the uh, other antiphons that have come before it. We address the Lord as our King and lawgiver. And basically, we're addressing him as God himself. Emmanuel, God with us. Come and save us, O Lord our God. It's a very important title, as you know, Emmanuel, God with us. In his birth from the Virgin Mary, God assumes our human nature, takes on our flesh. This is God coming near to us more than any person could ever have imagined that he would become one of us. But also, he's exalted as king and lawgiver and as savior, long expected by, by all creation. So this is kind of like the fr- final cry of Advent because we need salvation. And we call out, come and save us, O Lord our God. Now, finishing these, if you look at the initials of the seven antiphons, you will notice that if you read them backwards, the, the, <laughs> the initials of the titles, they make what we call an acrostic. And in Latin, it's arrow cross. So, for example, E is Emmanuel, uh-huh. R was, was Rex King. So, anyhow, I'm, and that means. Uh, I will be here tomorrow. I will be here tomorrow. So for people in the Middle Ages, they read that backwards and said, you know, this is a reference clearly to the Christmas vigil that will happen the next day. Wow. Arrow cross. I will be there tomorrow. Did you ever know that, Kyle? I, I feel like I may have heard that in the past, but that's fascinating. 
And I yeah. kind of makes me wonder if that was intentional or just a coincidence or, or what. People can find these if you search for O antiphons. Uh, the USCCB has a list of the current translation. I feel like we're kind of scooping the story here on the new translation. We're getting an edge, getting to preview these. So maybe people want to go back and listen again to, to hear that. Because I do think that the new translation is much more clear and more beautiful. Like there's a lot, lot that's missing from the current translation. So I'm glad that you're redoing those. It's exciting. You know, I don't think, um, Kyle, that it was a coincidence that Arrow Cross, you know, I will come tomorrow. Because you, when you think about it, these were first sung by monks in monasteries. Hmm. And, you know, they were often very purposeful sure. in this kind of thing. And I would, wouldn't be surprised that they purposely, you know, use those titles so that they would backwards be be read as I will come tomorrow. But who knows? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we have some of your questions asking if the no room at the inn story is a metaphor, Bishop's favorite Advent hymn, and more coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman asking the questions that you have submitted for him to answer. First up, is the no room at the inn an historical truth or a metaphor? Well, I... I believe in the in the historicity of the Christmas story. I do believe that there was a census and that David, I mean David, that uh, Joseph, being of the house and lineage of David, brought his pregnant wife to Bethlehem and, and there was no room in the inn. I do think, though, it does have deeper meaning because the fact is the Savior came into the world and was not welcomed. There was not room for him. Right. I think that there is a deeper meaning to that historical fact. Okay. And it means that we need to make room in our hearts and in our lives for the Savior. All right. Our next listener submitted question, gold, frankincense, myrrh, drum solo, what would you have taken as a gift for baby Jesus? I think I would have been more practical uh -huh. and brought him a blanket. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know what he did with the gold. And the, no, a rattle, maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, a rattle. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's great. Of course, the most important gift is, is that we give him ourselves, that we give him our life, mm. that we give him our love. That's the, the most important thing. Uh, we we go to adore him out of gratitude and out of love for him. So I think even now we should think about what gift we bring to to the Lord, to the child Jesus. And really most important what he thirsts for is our love. All right. Someone asked, what's your favorite Advent hymn or favorite Christmas carol? Or both? I'll look at both. Obviously, the most famous of the Advent hymns is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That would be my favorite. Originally, of course, it's in Latin, and it's a paraphrase of the O Antiphons that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And they were plain chant, 
antiphons that were attached to the Magnificat at Vespers, as I said, the final week of Advent, you know, goes back to monastic life, way back to at least the 8th century. They would sing these O antiphons in anticipation of Christmas Eve. And the fact that we, when we sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we use a lot of these titles of the Messiah when we, we pray them. Now, the melody that we use wasn't what they used, you know, 1,200 years ago. Okay. I think the, uh, the melody of the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is uh, much later. I'm, I'm, try- I, I'm thinking maybe 18th century or 19th. I'm not sure. I, I did think, I think maybe it was, I think the tune that we're familiar with in the English-speaking world really even goes back to the 15th century. I should... Uh, I remember reading that it it goes back to France, so 15th century France, hmm. the melody that we use today. The antiphons themselves go back, as I said, to at least the 8th century, but they were probably originally sung in plain chant. The chant that we use now, or the song that we use now, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is not plain chant. It's um, It's whatever we would call it, but it's not plain chant. Okay. How about a favorite Christmas carol? You know, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. Okay. Because, and I'll tell you why, every year in Rome, I was there as a student, and I would be homesick, and I'd be at the Christmas Midnight Mass with St. John Paul II, and always at Holy Communion, they would sing, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful, Hmm. in Latin. And it was just like very moving for me very emotional for me. So it really is my favorite Christmas hymn, Adeste Fidelis in Latin. I'm not sure there's various um, theories about how it originated, this Christmas carol. You know, different people think it was authored by different people, but but we know that the, uh, that it was, it's at least goes back to the, 18th century, maybe the 17th century. The original text would have been probably even earlier than that. I don't know. But in modern hymnals, if you look at who the composer is, it's usually credited to John Francis Wade. He was an English Catholic who was living in exile in France when the Catholics were being persecuted in England. So that is... uh, part of the history of this but i just find it to be such a, a beautiful beautiful hymn sure oh come let us adore him christ the lord all right another listener asked what's the best christmas gift you've ever received what's the best gift you've given oh i, I need more time to think about that <laughs> the best christmas gift i ever received i'm trying to think back to childhood i don't know childhood and adulthood i've I've received my. I remember really being happy when I received a bicycle. Uh-huh. Uh, I, that memory is like my first bicycle. That was something that uh, was very exciting for me as a child. Sure. In more recent years, people often will get me things like gift cards, which are really nice. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I can't really think of what my best Christmas gift in recent years would be. I think the. The best gifts I've given are usually things that are, you know, I remember giving my mother a rosary that uh, Pope John Paul had given me and blessed. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was very meaningful. 
I try, like if I've been on these different, uh, oh, you know what? That just made me think of what my best Christmas gift ever was. My mother made a nativity scene out of ceramic. Really? And gave it to me one Christmas. And I put it up every year in, in the uh, foyer in the Archbishop Knowles Center outside my office. And that just was the most, because I know it took her a long time to make it, and it's really very special to me. So that's the best gift I ever received. Oh, yeah. very nice. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode of Truth and Charity. Reminder, if you have questions for Bishop, you can send a text to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Be happy to. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Next week, Bishop talks about the year of St. Joseph, something given to us by Pope Francis. Hear Bishop's suggestions for things we can do during this special year and what we can learn from the spouse of Mary. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. 